this weekend, I'm going to be wrapping up a series that we've been in, uh, I think for the last six weeks or so, and it, uh, the title of the series is, uh, is Jesus Is, and in this series, we've been answering the question, uh, who is Jesus? Pretty, pretty lofty question, but we've been looking at different perspectives of him. We've been looking at Jesus is God, Jesus is human, he's the healer, the teacher, the servant, uh, the king, and then very fittingly this weekend, we're going to be looking at Jesus is alive. Seems to fit the weekend. Uh, uh, and this, this statement I just made, Jesus is alive, is a super uh, pivotal statement. More than anything else about Jesus, what you believe about his resurrection uh, uh, really determines everything else. Everything flows from that, from that uh, uh, belief. Here's what I mean. 1 Corinthians 15 says this. For th- if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus has not been raised either. And if Jesus has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. I mean, think about that. Uh, If Jesus was still dead, we wouldn't be here today. The church wouldn't exist. The church didn't get its start because of the birth of Jesus. The church uh, didn't get its start because of the teachings of Jesus, as wonderful as they were. The church didn't get its start because of the miracles of Jesus. The church didn't even get its start because of his death on the cross. It was the resurrection. It was the resurrection that launched the church and because of the resurrection, because Jesus is alive, all those other things I said, his birth, his teachings, his miracles, uh, his death on the cross, suddenly there is uh, uh, all these other events take on a whole new meaning. Now that Jesus is alive, It was the resurrection of Jesus that so impacted his followers, that that so changed their lives that they literally went from a place of thinking, it's over, it's over, he's dead. We thought this guy was so special. We really thought he was the one, the, you know, the, the one that we've been talked, out for, talked about for generation after generation. We really thought he was the Messiah. We really thought he was our savior, but now we saw him dead, very dead, laid in a tomb. It's over. It was the resurrection of Jesus that took his followers, like literally from zero to 60, from a place of it's over to a place of they couldn't stop talking about the fact that Jesus was alive. Many of them, at the cost of their own lives, were, you know, they just couldn't stop talking about, we've seen him. We are eyewitnesses to the fact that Jesus is alive. I've talked with him. I actually touched him. I hugged him, and he, and I, my, you know, and he wasn't a ghost. He was very real. I sat down, I had a, I had a meal with him. And because of their message, uh, the church was launched. The church began in Jerusalem, spread throughout the Middle East, uh, spread throughout Europe, and, and now, here we are, here we are today. And his followers were not the same people anymore. Their lives were radically changed all because they had encountered the living Jesus. Jesus is alive. And as I thought about that and just... You know, I try to, when I read the Bible, I try to get in the story and try to, you know, find myself in that. I was thinking, okay, what, what's something in our culture, what's something in our day and age that would help us sort of tune in, help us understand in a more deeper, deeper level just what the followers of Jesus felt and experienced when they saw him alive? I and mean, what, uh, what event, you know, what event in our culture could sort of help us get, you know, get 
closer to that. And the only thing I could think of was uh, winning the lottery. And it sounds kind of weird, but, but I really think that helps us a lot. Because imagine if I, you know, if you just found out today, hey, you just won $20 million. I mean, would that, would that not change your life? Would you not go a little bit crazy? Well, of course you would. I think your, your reaction to that news would be very similar to the followers of Jesus. You'd be like, what? No way. This, this changes everything. And, you know, I remember years ago that I sort of experienced what I'm talking about right now. Uh, when I was 15 years old, I received a letter in the mail from Publishers Clearinghouse. <laughs> okay, I didn't know. I didn't know. Oh, now you know exactly what I'm going to say. I'll go to the next point. But, you know, I, I remember, and it's a vivid memory because it was, I'm a, I'm a real feeler, and it was like there were some big feelings going on. When I, like, in those days, I didn't get a lot of mail, and uh, so I got this letter, opened it up. I can remember exactly where I was in the house. I was sitting at the kitchenette, in the kitchen, that's the name, and I was sitting there, and I read it, and you know how those letters are written. And as I read it, like literally I read it and I thought, oh, no way. I was convinced that I had just won like a lifetime of these checks from, from Publishers Clearinghouse. And I remember sitting at the table, and I'm not exaggerating, it was like a wave, this amazing, wonderful wave of emotion swept over me, like, oh, like, like it was euphoric. It was like, man, this changes everything. I was already starting to spend money. Like, I'm going to buy a bicycle. I mean, I was out of control. You know, it was like, but I remember, I remember I was home. It was just my mom and I were in the house, and I jumped up. Mom! And I was yelling, Mom, look at this, look at this. And I've never fallen from such a high height to so low so quickly without breaking bones that uh, when my mother sat me down and read the fine print, it was like, oh, it was such a, such a letdown. Now, now, obviously, in comparing the resurrection uh, with winning the lottery. Obviously, this comparison breaks down real quickly. I mean, statistically, if you win the lottery, uh, it's not a good thing. It, it does damage to your life. And I'm also not saying that if you, you know, if you believe in Jesus, if you put your trust in Jesus, that we're all gonna be rich. I'm not saying that in making this comparison. But I wanna use the picture of winning the lottery to help us understand the impact of the, resurrections on the, of the resurrection on the followers of Jesus. Because way beyond receiving a great amount of money, the prize I'm talking about is encountering Jesus, uh, the very alive Jesus. The prize I'm talking about is not, I don't just mean you know, encountering the story of some people long time ago who encountered the living Jesus. The prize I'm talking about is en- encountering the living Jesus today, here. Today, as we gather together, uh, uh, my hope for us today is that uh, as we look at Jesus, as we look at the story, that just like the followers of Jesus experienced on the Sunday morning many, many years ago, that we would come face to face, that our lives would be changed because Jesus is alive. So let's pray, and then we'll jump in. So Lord, thank you so much uh, uh, for today. I just I love how worship helps us tune in to something beyond us, to, to you, to how amazing you are. I loved, Lord, as we sang that you're alive today, there was just this energy in the room, and it's, it's way beyond just our adrenaline. It's, it's you. It's your aliveness in the room.
And I do pray, Jesus, that you would come and just be very alive in this room today. You know who's here. You know what we're thinking right now. You know what's going on in all of our lives, and I pray that you would come be very personal with each one, that you would come and just reveal yourself, surprise us with how alive you really are. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, in your notes, if you're a note taker, number one is this. <clears throat> number one is, if this is true, then it's all true. If this is true, then it's all true. So, uh, like I've been saying, imagine if you really did win the, the lottery, a boatload of money. You know, congratulations, you just won uh, $20 million. Uh, and, you know, would it change your life? life? Of course, it would change your life. In fact, it would, it would impact your life on a, on a very deep level. It would impact your life, the entire timeline of your life, past, present, and future. It would impact your past because my, my, my hunch for you, because you're like me, is that you know, we all have debts. We all have debts. And, and you know, if you came into a whole bunch of money, it would now enable you to pay those debts off. Your mortgage, uh, student loans, you've got a car loan, you've got credit card debt. That income, that windfall of money would free you up now from those debts. And that would have major impact on, on the present because now being debt free, it totally changes your, your perspective on life because you don't have to work. I mean, you, you can now, I mean, you can now uh, approach life from a perspective that not many people get to. I mean, you don't, you don't need to go to work. Uh, uh, you know, many of the everyday stresses would be gone. Money is a big stressor, or the, uh, the lack of money is a big stressor in our culture. That would impact your future. There'd be no fear of the future because you've got this, you know, this load of resources. Uh, in our culture, money opens doors. In our culture, money brings uh, a certain level of freedom. I mean, winning the lottery would totally change, would totally impact your life, and that's the same. It's, it's the same and so much more with the, with the resurrection of Jesus. I said in the introduction that the resurrection turned a new light on everything else that Jesus did, on everything else that Jesus said, his birth, his miracles, his death, his teachings, all the different things that Jesus said. Listen to this quote. If Jesus rose from the dead then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? And Jesus said a lot of things. Jesus told his followers uh, many times with great detail what was going to happen to him. Here's one of those times. Matthew 16, it says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. He said it. He said it with great detail. He said it, and now he's done it. He's true to his word, and if he can pull that off, if he can say, I'm gonna die, and three days later, you're gonna see me again, if he can pull that off, if we can believe that's true, well, suddenly then, that means his, his word is true. That means we can believe everything else that he said. I mean, if that's true, then, then it's all true. Uh, uh, you know, Jesus once said that I've come to give my life as a ransom. 
I've come to, you know, use my life as a payment so that other people would go free. And well, what, what do we need to be freed from? Uh, 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 you know, the, the message of Jesus, just like the lottery, in the same way, impacts our entire lifeline, past, present, and future. And so when I talk about what, you know, what, why did he have to pay a ransom? What, are we all, what do we need to be freed from? What I'm talking about is this, is that we all have a past. You may be younger, you may be older, but we all have a past. And while we may not have financial debts, we all have uh, relational debts. And here, here's what I mean by that. When God made the world, when he created us, uh, uh, he, his plan was that we would love him and love each other. For, for the first 10 minutes of our existence, that's what it was. That we would love him and love each other, but way back near the beginning, God's enemy, the devil, uh, literally poisoned the system. And the poison was sin. We call it sin. You know, rebellion against, against God, rebellion against his plan. And this, and, and this sin poisoned the system, poisoned our hearts as human beings to the point that, that since then we've, we've not done a very good job of loving God and loving each other. And so because of that, we all have relational debts. We all carry loads of guilt, of regret, uh, uh, for things that we've done. Uh, we carry loads of hurt, pain, shame, uh, from things that have been done to us. We all have emotional debts. And how do you get rid of a debt? What does it take to get rid of a debt? Well, it has to be paid off. Somebody has to pay the debt off. And once it's paid, then you go free. And I remember uh, years ago, early on in our marriage, my wife Helen and I, I don't remember what exactly happened, but uh, um, we got into a financial bind. And this was many years ago, and, and, uh, but I remember that we racked up some debt, credit card debt. And it, and, and it doesn't sound like a lot of money now, uh, but it sure was then. I think it was just around $3,000. And it was $3,000 Canadian, which is like 20 bucks American, right? <laughs> so, I mean, what's the big deal? But, but stay with me. But, so we had this debt. And, uh, um, um, and I do remember in those days, you know, we were newly married. And, and I think I had a paper route. And you know, I didn't make a lot of money. But, but we looked at that debt. And I, I remember feeling the weight of that debt, right? Every month you get that, you know, that letter and you look at that balance and you go, oh, why does it seem to be going up and not down? And it was a weight and not a very nice weight. And, and, and there's just the reality that on our own, it's gonna take us a long time to pay this off. And I remember not, you know, I think it was months after that, Helen and I were at a party. I don't remember what the party was about. Uh, and uh, one of my brothers was at the party. I, I have three older brothers and, um, near the end of the party, he just came over and handed me uh, an envelope. And I, you know, I was like, it wasn't my party, so I don't know why you're giving me a card, but I, I remember taking that envelope, and it was, I was, we were getting ready to go, and I went and sat in the car, opened it up, read the card. The card, it was just him and his wife expressing their love to us. And then I looked in the envelope, and here was a check for $3,000. And, you know, I remember sitting in the car and just feeling this incredible weight drop off. Again, I know you know that feeling. It was like a weight that I, I, I couldn't do anything about on my own. And suddenly, because of someone else's love, 
someone giving of themselves. Now I'm free. I mean, what a gift. What a relief it was to feel that weight drop off. And, and that's, that's just a picture of what Jesus did on the cross. That is a picture, you know. But, but again, if Jesus stayed dead, I mean, I think JT said it this during worship today. If, D, if Jesus stayed dead, how do we know if the cross worked? How do we know? I mean, again, he said, I've come to you know, give my life as a ransom, and we believe it was on the cross that he did that. And, but how do we know if it worked if he stayed dead? Well, we know it worked because he didn't stay dead and that Jesus is very much alive. Romans 3.23 says this. It says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We all have debts. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for, all, for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. On the cross, Jesus paid all of our debts. The debts that we, that we could not pay. He paid the debt with the payment of his life. And, and if you're familiar with the story, just before he died, did Jesus say, oh, I am finished? Is that what he said? It's not what he said. He said, it is finished. What is he talking about? It, it's, it's the, what he came to do. It's the debt. The debt is finished. The debt has been paid. And here's what's so amazing about what Jesus did on the cross. He didn't just pay our debts you know, for the, for, from our past. Right, he didn't, when he came back to life, he didn't gather all his followers and say, okay, everyone's at a zero balance. But from here on out, you're on your own. That's not what it was. When he paid this ransom, when he paid our debt, he, it was paid in full. Past, present, and future. And you know what? That is good news. Because while I, I, I want to please Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, I want to make right choices, but I don't. And just like you, I sin, I still rack up a debt. And at the end of the month, I go, you know, I look at that and go, whoa. But here's the amazing thing is that Jesus, when I come to him every day, whenever I need to, and I recognize, oh no, I, you know, I'm in debt again. When I go to Jesus, I can go to him and say, hey, is this one covered? Oh yeah, it was paid in full, that one's covered. Well, what about this one? Because I actually, this one's premeditated. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not alone. That's good to know. I'm not alone in that one. But yeah, that one's covered too. See, uh, when's the last time you felt clean? Like, think about that. When's the last time you felt clean? Like, I stand before you today knowing that before God Almighty, I am clean. There's nothing. I don't need to hide. I don't need to cover anything up. I mean, you know, money gives you a certain level of freedom, but forgiveness frees you up to really live life. There is a wholeness and a, and a, a sense of life that comes from being forgiven that nothing on this earth can, can come close to. So Jesus, you know, Jesus said, did many things, promised so many amazing things that impact our past, forgiveness like I've been talking about. You know, Jesus made this promise that, promise that nothing in our life would be wasted, that he is a God who takes our mess ups, all the yuck of our lives, and he makes them into beautiful things. Uh, he impacts our present. He, 
There are so many promises in the Bible where Jesus said, I'm always gonna be with you. I will never leave you alone. Uh, I wanna protect you. I wanna guide you. I wanna pro- provide for you. I'm gonna be there constantly to encourage you. And then there, there, there's things for the future. There's promises for the future that Jesus has made. John 14 says this. Jesus said to his followers, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. What's he talking about there? Like this is something Jesus said long before he died, long before he came back to life. And it's in, in what he's saying, he's not just talking about our future here on earth. In what Jesus was saying to his followers, he said, I'm talking about your future, future. Like your forever future. And basically, he's, what he's saying to them then and what he's saying to us now is, you know what, you guys? I got a promise for you. And this is a life-changing promise, that when you come to your death, remember this, it's not the end for you. It wasn't for me, and you're gonna see that soon. He didn't say that, but that's basically what he's saying. Um, it's, when you come to death's door, when you put your trust in me, death is not the end, but rather death is a doorway you walk through to now join me in this wonderful place that I've prepared for you. I mean, really? Really? If that's true, I mean, if that really is true, all I've been saying about forgiveness and all these promises and like even beyond death's door, are you kidding me? If that's true, here's a good question. If that's really true, then why doesn't everyone put their trust in God? Right? If that's true, why doesn't everyone believe that he's alive today and every day? Well, that leads us to number two. Number two is this. Number two is finding the lost ticket. Finding the lost ticket. And again, we're in the context of lottery, etc. In the state of Ohio in 2017, $1.9 billion were given out in lottery winnings. That's a chunk of change. But you know, in that same year, 2017, $34 million uh, were not collected. I mean, that means that, means that uh, people had in their possession a winning ticket but they didn't come forward to collect their winnings. And the number one reason for not coming forward is they lost their ticket. They lost it. And you know, the Bible teaches that, again, that God made each one of us, that God loves us, and that God's desire for every human being is that we would come into a, a relationship with him and so he's, he's sort of, he's wired us for that to happen. And what, I'm, what I mean is this. It's like, it's like every newborn child, every little boy, little girl is given a winning ticket. And God's hope is that at some point in that young boy or young girl's life, that at some point they would become aware of that winning ticket and they would cash it in, so to speak. And they would enter into a relationship with Jesus. And I spoke earlier that, You know that God has an enemy, we have an enemy who poisoned the system, Uh, and because of that poisoning, we've all lost our tickets, and and we're trying to find them. But what makes it tougher is that there's, there's very real resistance to you and I finding those winning tickets. Here's what I mean. 2 Corinthians 4 says, Satan, the devil, our enemy, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. 
And what that verse is saying is it's giving us insight on, on how our enemy works, how he's coming after us. And, and let me just make this real clear. When I talk about the devil and God, I'm not talking about two peers, right? Batman, Superman, or I don't, I'm not really, I probably shouldn't say that because if there's some, some uh, comic book folks, they're like, no, they're not peers, but whatever. But I'm not saying they're peers, right? The devil is a fallen angel who was created by God in the first place, which stirs up a lot of questions, but he is a fallen angel and he is no match for God. He can't go toe-to-toe with God. So what does he do to get back at God? He goes after the, the thing that God loves the most. And, and what's that? It's us. It's you and me. And the way that he attacks us is by working overtime to keep you and I blinded to those tickets. He wants to keep hiding those winning tickets because he does not want you and I to find them, cash them in, and enter into that relationship with God where all these blessings come pouring onto us, past, present, future, future, future. There's very real resistance to God's plan. You know, when I say that resistance, I know that you feel that resistance because you, you, know, you, you watch the news and you just, I mean, you just look at all the evil, all the yuck, all the incredibly painful things that we do to each other. And, you know, and, and even closer to home, when you, when you see loved ones struggling and, and just unfair things happening, or, or if it's you if, you're, you know, if life is just overwhelmingly hard, there is something, there's this voice inside you that just goes, it's not supposed to be this way. There's a voice inside you that says something is really wrong. Something is very broken. And, and on the flip side of that, when things go right, you know, when, when we're loving each other and, 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 and we're enjoying each other, that voice inside says, like this, this is how it's supposed to be. Like, do you feel that? I know you do. You feel that resistance inside. And uh, in finding those lost tickets, the reality is that on our own, we cannot find them. But here's some more good news. God knows we can't find them on our own. And one of the things that God loves to do is he loves to help people find their winning ticket. And when I look at the resurrection story, one of the reasons why I totally believe in the eyewitness accounts of the resurrection, in you know, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, one of the reasons I believe that it's true is because the way that it's written is so incredibly honest. Like if it really was a hoax, if, if someone was trying to you know, create this story, the writers would have written it in a way more glorious way. Right? If, if, if it was a hoax, the story would have gone more like this. Sunday morning, before the sun came up, all the followers of Jesus would have been huddled around the tomb because they saw where he was buried, so they knew which one it was. Right? They would have all been waiting, you know, and, and they would have been watching the horizon, and as soon as the sun crested the horizon, you would have heard them start, 10, 9, they would have hired some cheerleaders. Jesus, Jesus, you know. Mary would have been in the back. Son, I brought clean clothes. I made pancakes heart-shaped just the way you love them. I mean, that's how it would, it would have been way more hallmarky, if you will. But that is not the way that it was written. The gospel accounts about the resurrection are full of doubts 
They're full of unbelief. They're full of skepticism. I mean, Jesus, I touched on this earlier, Jesus so many times with incredible deal, deal, detail told them exactly what was going to happen. And even with that, not one of his followers believed it. Like nobody, none of his followers expected it to really happen. And I don't know about you, but that's super encouraging to me. Because just like them, I, I have doubts. I'm, I'm the same, I am the same way. And on our own, we're stuck. We need help to believe. And if you look at the gospel stories, all the gospels, after Jesus came back to life, he had to help all his followers find their winning ticket. Meaning, he had to help them get to a place of believing that it's really true, that he really is alive. And uh, one of those stories is in the book of Luke. And uh, it's about two followers of Jesus. And <clears throat> these two followers of Jesus, it was mid-morning on Sunday, and they were uh, walking back to their, their hometown just outside of Jerusalem. And, and they were super sad. You know, they were walking along, and they were talking about you know, all, all that they'd seen that weekend. And they're talking about the death of Jesus and, and, uh, and, and just this feeling that it's over. And as they were walking along in the story, Jesus, who's now resurrected, Jesus walks up and joins them. Uh, but the Bible says something real interesting. It says that they were kept from recognizing him. And, uh, and he walks up with them and he asks them, hey, what are you guys talking about? And uh, they, they look at him and they basically they say, are you, like, are you like the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know all that went down this weekend? Like, has your phone been off all weekend? And, and as they walk along, they just start to unload all their disappointment. And they're like, oh, Jesus, this guy, Jesus, we were so sure he was the one. I mean, he was amazing. But now he's dead. It's all over. But now we're really confused. Some of the other followers, some women, they went to the grave earlier this morning. They said the stone was rolled away. They looked in and the tomb was empty. Like, what is that all about? And to make it more confusing, they said there were a couple angels showed up and those angels said, hey, he's not dead. He's alive. And like, we don't, we don't, and they're just like, we don't know what to believe. We are so confused. And Jesus, still not recognized by them, basically says, I mean, it really has this tone of, like he's scolding them. And he's like, are you kidding me? He didn't say that. But it's like, are you kidding me? After all that the prophets said, after all that was said to you, and he's like going, I know, I said it to you myself. After all that was said, you're still so slow to believe. And it's like he's saying, you guys, your ticket is flapping right in front of your eyes, and you don't see it? And you know what? They didn't see it. They needed help. To, to see it. And as the story goes on, they get to the, their house and Jesus joins them for dinner. And then this happens. Uh, Luke 24 says, as they sat down to eat, Jesus took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and he gave it to them. Suddenly, poof, their eyes were opened. Someone opened their eyes and they recognized him. And at that moment, poof, Jesus disappeared. And then they said to each other, they basically said, oh, now it makes sense. All this time as we're walking, did, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Now, what happened there? Well, what happened there is what, what I've been saying is that God did for them what they could not do for themselves. 
God opened their eyes. God helped them move from a place of unbelief to a place of belief, spiritual blindness to a place of seeing. They found their ticket. And you know, my hope today, uh, my hope today is that some of you would find your winning ticket. That some of you today would be brought to a place of believing. That some of you today would take a step towards Jesus, that your eyes would uh, be opened to the fact that Jesus is alive. And for some of you, it may be for the very first time. For some of you, uh, maybe God opened your eyes many years ago when you were young. Maybe it was at Sunday school. And suddenly Jesus became real. It's like you, you became aware of your winning ticket. Maybe it was at VBS, good old VBS, where Jesus became real to you. Maybe it was through a parent or, or a grandparent. Someone introduced you to Jesus. Uh, middle school, uh, in your dreams somewhere years ago, you, you became aware of that ticket. Maybe, maybe for some of you, you've been walking with Jesus a long time, but if you were honest right now, you would say, uh, he doesn't seem very alive anymore. And you know, one of the things I recognize for all of us is that the enemy, he is, he is working overtime and working real hard to keep you and I from finding those tickets, to keep those tickets hidden away somewhere. And he loves to bury them in worries and in struggles of life. He loves to hide them behind questions, uh, distractions, disappointments. So now, just like in the story, you and I, we need to be brought to a place. In order for us to be brought to a place of finding that ticket, God and God alone needs to get us there. Uh, John 6, says this. It says, for no one, Jesus said this, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And uh, this is such a cool verse because the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and the actual word for draw is this. It's this word helko, and this word helko means to drag. So what that verse basically says, for anyone to come to Jesus, God has to drag them to him. And I don't mean like forcing you against your will. I mean like there's so much resistance to you coming into a place of believing and seeing there's great resistance. It's something you can't do on your own. It's something that someone else can't do for you. You know, and as I preach to you today, that's a very freeing thing. Because I realize as I get up here and what I'm saying and that, that, you know, as I'm sort of up at the preaching plate, as I swing the bat, I, this could be the best sermon I ever give in my lifetime. And you know what? It wouldn't be enough. I mean, Billy Graham, Billy Graham could come from heaven, show up in a brand new suit. I mean, the great gospel, you know, preacher. He could be on this stage today, give his best talk, and that wouldn't be enough. We could have live animals running around the room. We could have pyrotechnics. We could, I mean, you could look under your chair right now and find a set of keys. Everyone gets a new car. Like, don't look under your chair. If you do, uh, that piece of gum is yours to take home. <laughs> but all those things would not be enough. But here's the thing. Just like in the story, if today is your day, if today is the day that God opens your eyes, you know what I realized? I could get up in front of you and <clears throat> I could sneeze and it would be enough. It would be more than enough. It's something that only God can do. 
And I pray that today would be that day for many of you. And so once our eyes are open, here's the thing though. Once our eyes are open, we need to respond to that. And, and this is where our, our part in the, in the whole thing comes into play. Final point, if this is all true, if we found our ticket, then how do we quote unquote cash it in? How do we claim the prize of a relationship with God? Number three is this, all you need to do is ask. In the story out of Luke, I skipped over a really key part. You know, the two people were walking along, talking with Jesus, and as they came to the exit for Emmaus, this happens. Uh, verse, 20, verse 28 says, by this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey, and then listen to this. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them. Now, in their culture, hospitality was huge. In their culture, it would have been assumed, it would have been expected that they would invite Jesus, you know, uh, it's getting late to come stay with the, the evening or the, the night with them. But, but it's interesting to me when I read that, what jumps out at me is, is that language of Jesus acted as if he were going on. You know, they're walking down the road, well, we'll see you all later. And he starts walking. Like, why did he do that? And why did it say that he acted? Why did he pretend like he was going on? Again, if you remember what I just read a little bit ago, we find out in a couple verses that, that you know, as Jesus reveals himself to them, that the people, they, they become aware that, boy, now we get it. I mean, remember when he was talking to us? Weren't our hearts burning? See, what was happening as they, walk, uh, as they walked along the road was Jesus was opening their eyes. Jesus was helping them find their tickets. And then, by acting like he was going on, he gave them an opportunity to make a choice, to make a decision. Like, do you want this? See, Jesus doesn't force himself on us. He doesn't say, you must believe in me. I mean, he's God. If he really is God, we, then he can do whatever he wants. He could just, you know, hit the easy button and we would all believe. But he doesn't do that because he knows us and he knows our rebellious nature. And he knows that if, I, if something is forced on you, you're gonna push back against it. But he knows this, that if he can bring you to a place, an awareness, that to a place of decision, that he knows it's for our own good to make that choice on our own. And so how do they choose? How do they choose Jesus? It says in the story, it says that they begged him, stay the night with us. And when, and when you hear that word beg, don't think the way we would define begged. It's not like, oh, please, please, Jesus. Right? We, don't, we don't have to beg anything from God. And what that word there actually means, the, the Greek, again, it's, it really means a passionate urging. What was going on was because their hearts were burning inside them, because their eyes were slowly opening to the truth of who he is, that it was like from their very guts, there was this, this, this like, oh, please don't go. You know, I, what I do see of you, what I'm aware of you now, I want so badly Please stay. Won't you stay with us? And here's the thing. Here's the thing I love about God is that God, God loves to respond. to. I mean, when you take just the smallest step towards him, he runs miles towards you. There's a verse in Revelation 3 where uh, you probably might be familiar with, it, familiar with it where Jesus basically said, hey, I'm knocking on the door of your heart right now. If anyone anyone hears that knocking, understand that the reason that you're hearing that is because I'm helping you hear it. But if anyone hears that knocking, all you have to do is open that door 
and I will come in and not just have dinner with you. I will be with you forever, forever. So why don't, why don't we stand up? Here's what we're gonna do. You know, I wanna give people an opportunity this morning to, to make that choice, to take a step towards Jesus. And again, you know, maybe it's for the first time or maybe somewhere along the way, you know that you lost your ticket. And uh, uh, today, uh, but today you found it. And, and I don't know if right now, I hope it is, but I don't know if right now, uh, uh, if your heart is burning inside you. I mean, I hope it is. Uh, I don't know how God has opened your eyes, your mind to the reality of him, how he's opened your ears to the invitation. But some of you today, it really is your day. And, uh, and I wanna give you an opportunity to take a step towards him. Here's, here's what we're gonna do. If, you, if we'd all close our eyes, just to keep us from getting too distracted. And if that's you, I'm gonna pray just a short prayer. And as I pray, I wanna invite you to just uh, to join with me as I pray. Because again, to start a relationship with Jesus, all you need to do is ask. So let's pray. So Jesus, uh, thank you for helping me see you. Thank you for opening my eyes, my mind. Uh, and in response to that, just like in the story, I ask you to stay, to stay with me, to come into my life, to teach me now how to live my life with you. So today, Jesus, I say yes to your invitation. Amen. So here's what I'm gonna ask. If you prayed that prayer with me, we see that as a big, big deal. After the service, as everyone's you know, zipping off to all that's going on this afternoon, I, could I ask you to take a minute just to pop into the visitor's welcome. We have a special gift for you. It's a cool little tote bag. Uh, it's got uh, books and information in it, and just stuff we would love to put in your hand. But I would, I would love to personally meet you afterwards. So if that's you, please take that minute. Come on back. Um, here's how we're going to end off. JT's going to lead us in one final song. And, and we're going to end off really the same way we typically end off all our services. You know, Jesus, uh, Jesus is alive, and because we believe he's alive, because we believe he's with us and that he loves us, uh, that he cares about us, because we believe that everything he did, uh, you know, everything that he said, uh, he's still doing and he's still saying, so because of that, we typically end our services by inviting people forward for prayer. And what I mean is inviting people forward who are in a place, place of need, you know, that just need a touch from God. And, and when we do that, sometimes two people come forward, sometimes 20 people come forward. But I want to invite some people forward for prayer. And you may be a visitor, uh, and this may be a little strange, but, uh, uh, but you may be a visitor or you may be a regular, but I just want to invite some folks forward. And uh, really, let me, let me invite this one group. If you're here today, and if there's pain in your body, one of the ways that God loves in us is by healing us, by comforting us. If there's pain in your body, if you're sick, uh, whether it's chronic or fresh, whatever it is, if you're overwhelmed by life and you're sick emotionally, if you're, you know, I talked about death. I believe some people today, you have a crippling fear of death. And the one who's walked through that door wants to come close to you today and take that fear away. So if that's you, I'm gonna invite you forward in a bit. Uh, uh, some of you, uh, 
you've been walking with Jesus a long time, but what you need is a, you need a touch of his aliveness. And so I want to invite you forward to get prayer. And when I say come forward for prayer, all that's going to happen is someone, guys pray for guys, gals for gals, someone's going to shake your hand. Hi, my name is, your name is. Uh, They'll ask you, what do you want prayer for? They'll say, can I put my hand on your shoulder? And if you say, okay, they will. But all they're going to do is just just really invite Jesus to come close to you and and, and to say a short prayer with you. So as JT leads this last song, Come on up for prayer. Again, everyone who comes forward, let's make sure they're prayed for. If you're not coming up, make sure to join in with the song, and then I'll come back and end off the service. So.